0: invite you to open your Bible with me now to the Psalms, Psalm 56. Over the past five years, uh, we've been taking time in the summer uh, to uh, devote some time to the Psalms. <coughs> Excuse me. And this morning we are up to, in that series, we're up to Psalm 56. It's a wonderful Psalm about trust. In the Lord, when times are hard, uh, you notice the title there, to the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a midcom of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath, and we'll be talking about that. Let's give our attention to God's word, Psalm 56. <clears throat> be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me, my enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before the Lord, before God in the light of life. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. God in heaven, we are a fearful people so easily and so often. And I thank you that you've given us this word, Lord, to direct our minds, to train our emotions, to help us to live and walk in faith. I pray, Lord, again, that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning clearly and give us ears to hear it as you mold us in this journey in the likeness of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is the Psalms are so relevant to the real life that we actually live. Uh, They talk about things like fear, and fear is a reality uh, for all of us. We all struggle with fear of one sort or another. Uh, The title of Psalm 56 tells us that David wrote this psalm after a terrifying experience. Uh, The experience uh, we can read about in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Uh, David was on the run from King Saul. Uh, running for his life because Saul was committed to killing him. And Saul had the entire Israelite army uh, engaged in the pursuit. And so uh, David in panic <coughs> decided um, to run to the, the, uh, into Philistine territory to the city of Gath. Now this is very early on in David's experience of being persecuted. He was persecuted about eight years where Saul was seeking to kill him. And this was very, very early on. Jonathan had just told him, yes, my father plans to kill you. <clears throat> the army has been released. Uh, and this is a new experience for David. His life to this point has been victory upon victory. As a young boy, remember, he was, uh, God gave him the strength to kill the lion and the bear. Uh, as a young boy, he um, took stones and was able to, uh, to destroy Goliath, the giant. Uh, He had been anointed by Saul to be the king of Israel. Uh, He had um, had incredible military success so that the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Uh, David's life has been just one success story after another. He's been the golden boy. Everything he he touches uh, turns to gold in that sense. And now, suddenly, the great warrior, the champion... Is running in panic for his life it's a new and terrifying experience and in his fear David made a really foolish decision a strategic error he um, uh, you've heard the phrase I'm sure out of the frying pan into the fire well that's what David did uh, jumping out of the frying pan of Israel into the fire of Gath in Philistia fleeing to Gath was not a great idea uh, there are several reasons that made it a poor choice. One, obviously, it's in the territory of the Philistines. And David was the great nemesis of the Philistines. They knew his name. As Goliath had been a terror to Israel in his day, uh, David was a terror to the Philistines. They knew the song the women sang. Right? David has killed his, his tens of thousands. In fact, um, the soldiers who capture David, when they bring him to the king of, of Gath, uh, King Achish, they said, isn't this the guy of whom they say Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands? Uh, those ten thousands were ten thousand Philistine soldiers, Philistine fathers and, and husbands and brothers and sons. And so going to Philistia was, was, was not a great idea, but going to Gath was maybe uh, more foolish still. Uh, boys and girls, uh, if, do you remember who came from Gath? There was a very important uh, Philistine warrior that came from the city of Gath. Uh, his name was Goliath. Uh, Goliath had been the pride and joy of the city of Gath. Uh, he was, uh, he was um, the great, Ameri- the great uh, Philistian hero, right? So everybody knows about Goliath, and, and Goliath's family and, and uh, the people who knew him were particularly proud of Goliath, and, uh, and, and the man who killed Goliath is now in their city. Helpless, at their mercy. And uh, David, then, when he's captured, we're told in 1 the, in the Samuel 21 that David was much afraid. He was terrified. He realized he's made a really foolish uh, decision. And uh, in the story, you can read it maybe today, um, we've, you, you can find what David did. He, he pretended to be insane. So he began, he began clawing at the gates and and and, and moaning and and uh, drool is coming down on his mouth and onto his onto his beard. He just pretends to be completely out of his mind. And and the king says to the soldiers who had captured him, "Can't you see this man is mad? Why have you brought him to me? Don't I, don't I have enough madmen in the city that that uh, you got to bring this guy to behave like this in my presence?" And so they let him go. And David made his way back uh, to Israel and found a cave in which to hide. And so that's the context for the psalm. David's remembering that deliverance of God. And let's give our attention then to the psalm. The psalm begins uh, with David asking for God's help because he's in trouble. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me Proudly. Uh, the Hebrew word for trample has the sense of being hunted down. Uh, David is being pursued and attacked. He uh, uses that word uh, twice in verse 1 and 2. Um, uh, in verses uh, 5 through 7, he continues 5 and 6. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. Uh, David, David's enemies are really committed enemies. They are committed to killing him. And, and they don't stop. The, 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 the phrase here, all day long, all day long, all day long, it shows up three times. It's just 24-7. They never take a break. David doesn't, he, he can't catch his breath. Their attacks just continue and continue and continue. They are, they are absolutely committed. All of their thoughts are about how to, to catch him and how to kill him. But brothers and sisters, you realize that this is exactly how the devil thinks of you. All his thoughts are to do you evil. All of them. When he thinks about you, his, his zeal, his passion is to harm you. And he never stops in that Pursued. He's a roaring lion constantly seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy, a very, very real, extremely committed enemy who has great power. That's reality. And maybe some of you feel under his attack right now. Remember in the, in the study of the book of Job, God allowed Satan to attack Job. And maybe God has allowed Satan to do the same in your life. God will allow all day long sorts of troubles in our life. Maybe it's the relentless misery of a disease or, or a disability, just something that just doesn't go away. It's a chronic pain. It's a chronic um, handicap, disability, chronic trial. Maybe you're suffering with with a grief or a depression that just doesn't let up. Just seems like a bottomless pit. There's no end to it. And maybe it's a combination. Uh, Everywhere you look in your life, you see things breaking apart. The health problems, work problems, maybe children problems or marriage problems, relationship problems, and you're just feeling buried under the weight of all of it. These are realities that God's people experience, face. Just like David, we know about all day long sorts of troubles. And we can remember good days in the past, and David could too. He remembered when he was, uh, you know, had this life of popularity and position and prosperity, success. And all of it's gone. And he doesn't have any place to hide from it. He's being hunted like a wild animal, and his enemies won't stop, and their zeal never flags, and it's frightening. David is afraid. I think it's a wonderful thing, or a helpful thing, it's not wonderful, it's painful, but it's helpful for us to face the things that we fear, the things that, we're, um, that keep us up at night, the things that cause anxiety. Uh, that's been one of the lessons that God has been showing me as I'm just going through this, this time of, of uh, dealing with anxiety in a way that I, I just haven't had, had in the past. And yet, um, just, show, just finding that God is using that to, to help me identify things that I, I fear, things I fear losing. And then taking those things to the Lord. Uh, evil frightens me. When I, when I look and see what's happening in our country, I see the riots and the violence and the hate and the anger of the mindless, destructive mob. I, I see evil. And it's frightening evil. I see the spiritual darkness descending as people have, have just lost their senses. You read Paul says, how it will be in the last days and people who are brute, just brutal, senseless, arrogant, violent. Well, that's, that's just... I don't think you have to be a prophet to look around and say, well, that that sort of rings true. And the days, friends, could actually be coming. It's not just a preacher talking. When real persecution happens and there's, there's real losses incurred if you're going to take a stand for Christ. We're just kidding ourselves if we don't think that's possible. We have brothers and sisters experiencing that today. Those are frightening realities. So what do we do When we're afraid. Well, David's commitment, secondly, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. David shows us that uh, we're there will fears reality will face. But when we're afraid, there's an there's a choice we can make. And that choice is to trust in the Lord. We don't have to give way to fear. We don't have to be gripped by it. We don't have to be controlled by it. We can actually, in the moment of fear, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. That's a a tremendously important lesson for God's children to learn. We do live with fears, fears that keep us awake at night. And the problem with fear is that fear is a paralyzing emotion. Uh, it's nearly impossible to get people to do the thing that they most fear to do. I, uh, when I was young, I was terrified of putting my head under water. So I remember going to swimming lessons, and the, and, the, and the teacher trying to, I was maybe 10 years old, and she's trying to encourage me to put my head under water. And uh, you could not have offered me all the, or you could have, you could have offered me all the gold in the world. And I was not going to put my head under water. My little brain is thinking, what's the good of being rich if you're dead? Uh, it's, God didn't make us with gills we're not supposed to go there so I, I was not going to go under the water I paralyzed by fear maybe you've experienced fear maybe you're experiencing fear like that right now in your life just paralyzing fear you can't do what God, you know God wants you to do maybe God wants you to confess your sin to someone and you know you need to and you're you're frozen You're afraid of what it'll cost. You're afraid of what people will think. You're afraid of the consequences. Being ashamed. And so so you just don't go there. Uh, This can destroy marriages where husbands and wives just don't confess their sins to each other. Or maybe uh, they're not willing, they don't dare forgive each other. Because if I forgive, that means I'm opening myself up again to hurt and I just can't go there. And they're paralyzed and they know it's killing their marriage. They know it's destroying their intimacy. But knowing it isn't enough to move us forward. Fear will keep us from evangelizing, from talking to a neighbor about Jesus Christ. We know we should. It's something even that we desire to do, but the fear just cripples us. If persecution ever does come, fear will drive many people who today confidently profess their faith in jesus christ but they will they will be because of the crippling nature and paralyzing nature of fear they will either compromise their faith or they will renounce it altogether the the, the, they simply won't be able to face the pain of what they stand to lose fear is a big deal it has incredible power to mold our lives, and to cause us to do sinful and foolish things. It it has the ability to to completely rob our joy in the Lord and to blunt the fruitfulness that we could bear for Him. But David shows us that when we are afraid, there's a specific something that we can do. When I am afraid, literally in the moment, in in the very time that I'm in the grip of paralyzing fear, in that moment, I have a choice to make. There's something I can do. I put my trust in you. Uh, Kidner says, the faith is seen here as a deliberate act in defiance of one's emotional state. We live in, in an age where emotions are ultimate reality. If you feel like you're a unicorn, congratulations, you're a unicorn. Emotions are ultimate truth. Well, they're not ultimate truth. They're they're a reality. But there is actually objective, ultimate truth outside of our emotions that we can can lay hold of. We can defy our emotions. That's the the, the message throughout Scripture. Are you downcast? Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him. And here, are you afraid? I will put my trust in you. But how do you do that? It's a nice verse, it'll look nice on the fridge, but how do you, how do you actually do that in your life? Because it might sound like just a mind game, right? Okay, I'm just going to, in my mind, ignore this, and I'm just going to trust. Well, yeah, kind of. But you see, what you're, it has to be very specific. What you're doing is you're deciding to take your mind from the object of your fear and fill your mind with the objective truth of God's Word. Notice what David says in verse 4 and again in verse 10. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. It says it again in verse 10. In God, whose word I praise. In other words, um, the, the God that David is choosing to trust is the God who has spoken in his word. And David praises God for his word. Remember, this is, this is the man who writes, uh, I love your law, I love your testimonies, I, I love your precepts and your commands. I love your word. And so the God that David is trusting is the God of Genesis 1 and 2, the God who created this whole world by the word of his mouth. He's the God who sovereignly then rules over his creation. He's the God of, 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 of the flood, the God of Noah and his family. As, as the world is destroyed by the wrath of God, all of God's enemies are destroyed, and, uh, and God's people are saved and delivered. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who makes covenant and keeps covenant even with conniving, foolish men like Jacob. Even with the foolishness of Abraham as he twice lied about his wife and nearly lost her to foreign kings. God was faithful to preserve them. That's the God David believes in. He believes in the God of the Exodus who who is able to deliver his people against overwhelming military odds. And the same with the land of Canaan, the conquest of Canaan. This is the God that David says, In God whose word I praise, I will trust in Him. You see, friends, the only way that we're going to be able to successfully fight fear is to lay hold of the word of God and the truths of God in His word, laying hold of them by faith. There are infinite and irrefutable reasons to trust this God. Martin Luther said, I will glory in the word of God, for I have a command, a declaration, and a promise in my favor. This isn't just good news, it's good news for you and it's good news for me in Christ. I love Luther's statement. We have a command in our favor. God has uh, commanded things concerning our salvation, He's commanded, just like Moses said to Pharaoh, God has commanded death and hell, let my people go. We have a declaration in the Word of God in our favor. Jesus' declaration on the cross, it is finished. What was finished? Our redemption was finished. As He died bearing our sin and our shame and our guilt, and He rose again to life to justify us. We have the declaration if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We have all these wonderful gospel declarations in the Bible that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the work that God has begun, he shall complete in those who trust in him. These are declarations for us. And we have promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Behold, I'm coming again. We have all these promises in our favor. You see, Scripture is loaded with reasons for confidence and for trust. God speaks in His Word as clearly and directly as He spoke to uh, Joshua. Back in Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. Why? What are the reasons? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is God's word to your ear. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You go to Meyer, God God is with you there. You go into the valley of, of sorrow and grief. God is with you there, right? That's, that's Isaiah. Behold, when you go through the waters, they, they won't flood you. The fire will not consume you. God wants us to know, friends, that He's with us, that He's for us. So that, that so what are the, the, the what are the specific things then that, that David looks, uh, points to, reasons that he's trusting in the Lord? Uh, just very very quickly, three of them first, verse 8, David has the confidence that God is watching over him lovingly as a a heavenly father. You've kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. When David is tossing on the bed at night, God is is keeping count of it. He's paying that much attention. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He, He keeps Israel. He keeps you. He watches you. Your tossings matter to him. The same for your tears. You put my tears in your bottle. Uh, People of of those days would put precious ointments in little bottles. Uh, And David says, uh, that's what God does for me. That my tears and my pain and my fear, the tears are kept by God because they're precious in God's sight. He cares about our grief. In all their afflictions, the Bible says, he too was afflicted. God is watching over him. David's convinced of this, and, and God deeply cares about his pain. Someone sent me an article this past week just about going through suffering, and and, and, and the author made the point that so often in trials, we at, we're tempted to ask the question, why? Why is this happening? Why is God allowing this? But the author makes the point that the the, the, the question that the heart really longs to have answered is, Is not why. The reason wouldn't satisfy you. The question that we want to have an answer is who? The author says, What matters most when things in our world appear to fall apart is that God stays with us. For Christians who have walked through the valleys, they know that the lowest low can be survived if God is near, which is exactly what God tries to remind us and and tell us and promises to us over and over in his word. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's word to you. And those words need to be then taken in our time of fear. This is where we make the choice to listen to our fear or to listen to the voice of God. The um, uh, the, the second thing that David David, um, looks to and trusts in is that God is for him. This I know, he says, verse 9. This I know that God is for me. I, that, that, that's probably the most critical line in the whole psalm if there's one truth that I could uh, you know, physically inject into the veins of every believer and, and into my own self there's one truth you could actually just implant this would be it this conviction that God is for us <clears throat> I'm convinced that it would transform the way that we face the trials and the fears of this world If we could at any moment have absolute certainty at the core of our being that no matter what God has allowed into our life at this moment, God is immediately now and always and eternally will be gloriously, fully in all of his power for me, with all of his heart for me, no reluctance, no distance no judgment no penalty that god with 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 his heart wide open is engaged in my life for my benefit he's for me god is for me i think i think That truth would transform our lives. I think Paul felt the same way. And so he, in in the book of Ephesians, he prays for the church in in chapter 1 that they might know the hope to which he, God, has called them. In chapter 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, in other words, every Christian is right now rooted and established in the love of God, whether whether you experience that now or not, but being rooted, you're, you're rooted in the love of Jesus Christ if you're a child of God. But Paul says, I pray that in that context that you may have the power then to grasp it. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's what the Spirit works in the lives of His people. That's what the Spirit has enabled David to see and to know. This is the root of his confidence. I know I'm convinced that God, the living God, is for me in the face of all sorts of evidences that my uh, my weak flesh might point to, my unbelief could point to and say, these are are all evidence that God has forgotten you or God is punishing you. God has abandoned you. David says, no, I, I know, I know. That God, the God who created me, the God who has ordained all the number of my days, He he looks on me with favor. He's committed to blessing me. I know it. That is so critical for freedom from fear and the ability to believe. There's no way you're going to be able to face, that I'll be able to face, life in times of trouble or to live in faith and confidence in times of, of trouble without this conviction. You see, God's method for freeing us from fear is not to remove the circumstance. That's not how he normally does it. His method for freeing us from fear is to convince us of his faithfulness and his power and his love in the midst of the circumstance. But we have to accept it, receive it, and believe it. There has to be this, this specific faith. Not a vague sense that there's a higher power or even a vague sense that God is good in some general way. There needs to be this specific conviction. God is for me. If you don't get to that point, you haven't gotten to the nub of it. You haven't gotten to real faith yet. Then just acknowledge what it is. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Faith is, I know God is for me. In Christ Jesus, God is for me. Then we can say, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? One man who famously lived by that principle was Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate general in the Civil War. As you might know, he was a convinced Calvinist, staunch Presbyterian, and proved therefore utterly fearless on the battlefield. Uh, people marveled at his fearlessness. Uh, a junior officer asked him the source of his courage in battle, and he re- Jackson said this, Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready no matter what, no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live and then all would be equally brave. God has our life in his hand. Nothing can happen apart from his heavenly will. And that doesn't mean we won't experience hurt. Jesus promises we'll experience hurt. But take heart. I've overcome the world, and, and Jesus promises that we won't experience lasting harm. Whatever men do to us is going to be guided by the sovereign hand of God for His glory and our eternal good. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, how can David be so certain of these things? Well, in this psalm, David points to God's deliverance from Gath as reason for his conviction. Verse 13, you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David's convinced that God is for him, is because David has had an experience of God delivering him. When he was there in the city of Gath, David doesn't say, and I was really bright, and I made a, a, a smart move, I acted insane, and, uh, and I delivered myself. No, David recognizes that's all the hand of God. God had kept David's feet from falling. David was stumbling, but God kept him from falling. God preserved his life. And so the the fact, you see, of God's deliverance, preserving David's life, that fact is a reason that David takes to himself to, to bolster his conviction that God is for him. Well, brothers and sisters, we have a vastly superior fact along the same lines. How can you be certain that God is for you when you've sinned so many times and when so much of your life is in shambles? How can you be certain that God is for you? Well, he's delivered your soul from death in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's actually done something in history, something that has immediate impact and effect for your life. This is when... when, when we're tempted to say, how, well, how can we know the logic of Scripture is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. That, that he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's ex- Paul takes this language right out of Psalm 56 and uses it in his gospel apologetic. Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ well nothing can separate us from the love of Christ not trouble not hardship not persecution not famine not nakedness not danger not sword not death in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us okay you know those words I know them too You believe those words. But for those words to actually transform our life, we have to... Two things, and I'll wrap up with this. Two things. First, the love of Christ has to be more precious to you than comfort or security or reputation or any of the things you fear losing. That make sense? So if you're afraid of going into financial ruin, The only way the promise that that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ will free you to live in confidence and faith and peace in the midst of financial ruin is that the love of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ provides has to be more valuable to you than your finances. Your faith will not help you if your ultimate love is actually finances or comfort or reputation And often God will remove things from our life to help us face the reality that we do love those things vastly more than we ought. And that those things are not our life. Jesus drives us to to a faith in himself often by removing those things. But the first thing is simply the love of Christ and all that Jesus Christ has promised has to be precious to us. So pray that. So that when you hear, nothing can separate you from his love. what that does is then it lifts you. You mount up on wings like eagles. If nothing can separate me from his love, then I have everything in Jesus Christ. I need not fear lose anything. Because if I have Jesus, I have everything. But then secondly, this truth of God's love for you in Jesus Christ, the fact that God is for you, you and that Jesus, the one who loved you and gave his life for you, is seated at the right hand of God, ordaining every molecule and every event in this world. The only way that will bring comfort to you is if you actually take it into your heart. And you lay hold of that truth in the midst of your pain. You don't settle for vague, general platitudes about God or about Jesus or about the Christian religion. But you take hold of the specific promises and declarations of the gospel and you take them to yourself. This I believe. God has spoken it. God never lies. Not a single word of his will fall to the ground. And so I can take God's promise and God's declaration and God's truth into the specific circumstance of my pain, my life, right now. And I choose to trust him. That's how it works. I will not be afraid. What can men do to me? They can take my life. Jesus says, I don't have to be afraid of those who take my life. As long as I fear him who can cast my soul into hell... I'm safe, even if they take my life. Friend, I don't know, obviously, the fears, your deepest fears, God does, Jesus does. I don't know the circumstances that you're in right now, Jesus does. But I know that God gives us his word, friends, for our life, the actual reality in which we live. And that is God's desire, he is not speaking in vain. God's desire is that you would then Put your trust in him and that we would live then not afraid but trusting and praising. May God grant it. Amen. Father, it's amazing to think of our life held securely in your hand and yet, Lord, you promise us that's exactly the case. It doesn't feel like that sometimes Lord as we suffer great pain and inner turmoil we wrestle with fears and idols and sin and brokenness and the, the effects of other people's sins against us Lord it, it's hurtful it's, it's hard and we're grieving and, and maybe even broken hearted this morning but I thank you Lord that when we are afraid we can put our trust in you that you are more real than our trials and that, Lord, you have ordained them and and that we can trust you in them because you're the God who's spoken to us in your word and through Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would give us then courage as a congregation, courage to endure in faith in the midst of trials, courage to love in the face of hurt, courage, Lord, to risk our finances and our comfort and our security for the cause of Christ, the courage to stand, the courage to reach out, the courage to forgive, the courage to die to ourselves, the ability to trust you, our God, our Lord. And in that trust, find life and health and peace. God, grant it to us for your glory. Amen. Let's sing together 689. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side.